This is Lock and Code, a Malwarebytes podcast. I'm your host, David Reese. This week, we're going to talk about last week, starting with the news. On Malwarebytes Labs, we warned readers about proper PDF redaction. The famously flubbed process gave us a big news story last week, when the European Commission tried to put some public pressure on AstraZeneca, the pharmaceutical giant which had failed to produce the 400 million COVID-19 vaccines that it had promised. The published contract between the European Commission and AstraZeneca included redactions, but they weren't quite perfect, revealing many unintentional details. What's wild about this story is that it's far from an outlier. PDF redaction has beguiled high-powered lawyers and literal world powers. In 2011, the UK government breached itself by accidentally revealing details about its own nuclear submarines. In 2018, Facebook attorneys failed to conceal the fact that in 2012, the social media giant considered charging companies at least $250,000 to access user data through its Graph API. And because, wow, we have these types of stories for days, lawyers for former Donald Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort revealed sensitive information in a PDF when representing their client in special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation. Adding insult to injury, these accidental revelations do not require elite hacking skills. Often, the details of these PDFs are revealed with a simple copy-and-paste procedure done by journalists. So, how do you properly redact a PDF? There are many online tools that claim to help, but the most critical step is hit that sanitize and remove hidden information toggle switch when you eventually save the PDF. We also reported on a joint study between Google and researchers at Stanford University that scanned one billion malicious emails to find patterns in phishing emails and emails that deliver malware. The key findings? 42% of attacks target users in the U.S., 10% of attacks target users in the U.K., and 5% target users in Japan. Further, there is little localization of malicious emails, with 83% of phishing emails written in English and 97% of malware emails also written in English. Researchers also found that older populations are more at risk of receiving malicious emails, but the study does not say why this is. So, some obvious findings, and all it took was 1 billion email scans. We also informed readers about the ransomware attack against the video game company CD Projekt Red, which late last year released the highly anticipated video game Cyberpunk 2077. CD Projekt Red said publicly that it would not pay the ransom, and that it had already begun restoring any affected systems. The ransomware actors claimed to have stolen source code of the company's projects, and they threatened to release that code and internal emails in an effort to tarnish the company's image. But after the beleaguered release of Cyberpunk 2077, I don't know how effective that threat is. Shortly after Cyberpunk went on sale, Sony pulled it from its digital PlayStation store. Microsoft offered massive refunds, the CEO apologized, and roughly one month later, the company's stock price had cratered by about 40%. The game was 
poorly optimized on consoles, plagued with bugs that would, say, remove the main character's pants or, you know, place secondary characters floating above their chairs and vehicles. It also crashed a ton for some users. What reputation is at threat here? In fact, coming back from a ransomware attack will likely increase the company's public profile. Finally, we reported on an often foretold nightmare scenario that almost came true in Florida two weeks ago, when someone remotely accessed a water treatment facility in an attempt to poison the city's water supply. At 1.30pm on Friday, February 5th, a plant operator noticed that an outside actor had now twice accessed a computer system at the water treatment facility in Oldsmar, Florida. This time, the actor opened a system function that controls the level of sodium hydroxide in the water. The threat actor then increased the sodium hydroxide levels by more than 1,000%, which could have caused serious injury to residents. But the levels were corrected immediately after the threat actor left the system. Now, this all sounds frightening, and it is, but we shouldn't overstate what likely happened here. According to follow-on reporting from Ars Technica, the water treatment facility relied on an unsupported version of Windows, and they shared the same password to a critical application amongst employees. Overall, big news, but at least we know about the vulnerabilities likely involved. In cybersecurity news across the world, Sky News reported that eight Britons were arrested for allegedly hacking the phones of U.S. celebrities. The hacks reportedly involved SIM-swapping techniques, which is a surprising amount of effort to hack a celebrity's phone, because from a video I saw, like two years ago, Kanye West's iPhone passcode was just 000000. InfoSecurity Magazine told readers that fraudsters have begun selling fake COVID-19 vaccination cards online. The cards, which falsely claim that their owners have received the COVID-19 vaccine, may appeal to those who oppose vaccinations, but who believe that the reopening of businesses and travel in the U.S. will require proof of vaccination. I, I, I don't have anything to say on this one, folks. So let's just, let's just move on before the weight of this knowledge just sinks in and drags me down for my entire week. I just have to ignore it. It's called self-care, and we're told it's important. Finally, SC Magazine wrote that cybersecurity researchers identified 223 security vulnerabilities within the Common Vulnerabilities and Exposures database that were tied to ransomware attacks in 2020. 223! What a dreadful to-do list for IT teams. Our main story today concerns Emotet, a piece of malware that, if you've never heard of before, you should consider yourself lucky. It is the malware that, according to the Department of Homeland Security in 2018, could cost local, state, tribal, and territorial governments up to $1 million to remediate. It is the malware that helped deliver another banking trojan called TrickBot, which in late 2018 became the biggest malware threat facing businesses in North America, Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. 
It is the malware that continuously evolved, and soon after it gave a helping hand to TrickBot, it also began working in tandem to deliver the ransomware Ryuk. But even those descriptions fail to truly capture Emotet's sophistication. Again, according to the Department of Homeland Security, Emotet is a, quote, polymorphic banking trojan that can evade typical signature-based detection. It has several methods for maintaining persistence, including auto-start registry keys and services. It uses modular dynamic link libraries to continuously evolve and update its capabilities. Furthermore, Emotet is virtual machine aware and can generate false indicators if run in a virtual environment, end quote. If it wasn't clear by now, Emotet was bad news. And on January 27th, it got knocked out. Law enforcement authorities in the US, the UK, Canada, Ukraine, Germany, France, the Netherlands, and Lithuania launched an international takedown effort against Emotet, gaining control of its infrastructure and pulling it down from inside. On today's show, we're speaking to security evangelist and director for Malwarebytes Labs, Adam Kujawa, about what Europol called the world's most dangerous malware. How did it start? Who did it hit? And what does it mean now that law enforcement is involved? A story which, by the way, hasn't even concluded, as there are plans for further action in March. Adam, I forget how many times I've said this to you, but welcome back to the show. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. So let's get right into it on today's story. Before we dive into the more recent takedown effort by law enforcement, we should better understand the Emotet itself, right? Its impact and how it earned its notoriety. So mm-hmm. what did Emotet even begin as way back in 2014? And what did it eventually become? So Emotet was was first discovered in, in 2014, like you said, primarily focused on, on German targets. And it was banking Trojan, like Zeus. Basically, its whole point was to, mm-hmm. was to compromise systems and then hijack you know, cases where people were logging into their bank accounts or hijack sessions, you know, uh, traffic of sending over financial data, things like that. In some cases, actually utilizing apps and being able to gather information from banking apps and stuff like that on on endpoints. That's kind of how it started. I mean, it, it, it really didn't stand out as anything interesting until about 2016. In 2016, it became a loader. And what that means is that it started delivering other malware. It wasn't necessarily in it for its own purposes, but rather as what I like to call it, like a like a malware truck, a malware <laughs> delivery service, right? Yeah. And in 2017, they went even further but with that as, as kind of fully becoming a, a malware as a service or cybercrime as a service vendor in that they their whole approach now was no longer about trying to, you know, steal data that they could sell or or ransom thing necessarily that what they wanted to do was give access to other criminals. And, you know, they still stole data in that, in that goal. They had to steal email addresses, They had to steal, you know, passwords, account information, things like that. But their whole business was now selling access to victims, to other cyber criminals or licensing with them in many cases, which is something that we saw with TrickBot and some other families that they worked with, but it made Emotet so popular and the folks behind it were so dedicated to evolving the malware, to developing uh, upgrades for it, for developing new functionality and finding new ways of attacking folks. They didn't just pocket the cash and run off. They they reinvested into their product and it showed based on how popular it was. There was a lot in what you said, right? And particularly 
about how Emotet's operators, its developers, reinvested in Emotet itself and, and they advanced it. They grew it in a sense. This thing you mentioned here, it became malware as a service, cybercrime as a service. Mm-hmm. Is that common? Is that normal? Or, or was Emotet, you know, even if it is common, was Emotet, were they just really good at it? Yeah. Well, at the time, you know, compared to what we see now, compared to the synergistic relationships between cyber criminals of today and the and the dark net marketplaces, when Emotet started doing it, it was not a, a very popular thing. I'm pretty sure that the families that did start doing this malware as a service approach, and kind of stemming off of, of families like Cerber, who also had a ransomware as a service approach, and some other families out there. In 2016, I think that they were, yeah, 2016, they were the most prevalent thing server was. And so kind of going off of that, we started seeing other families and Trojans and Emotet actually also take on that kind of cybercrime as a service thing. And they showed people how you could do it right. Honestly, if you ask me, it may not have started so much, you know, and in fact, the early years in, in 2016 and 2017, even though Emotet was growing and evolving, and it was on a few different versions at that point, it still didn't have the kind of market share that it had earlier this year or last year or something like that. It was spread all over the place, but as far as as landing attacks, as far as making a big name for itself, not so much. So like I said, they just, they reinvested in in their own products. They made it more capable. For example, the spam module that comes with Emotet, it's been an Emotet for a couple of years now. Basically, uh, whenever an Emotet infection occurs, it hijacks or it steals Outlook contacts and immediately starts spamming those contacts from the victim endpoint to make it look like it's coming from a legitimate, you know, user, a legitimate endpoint and spreading these emails to other folks inside of the organization, trying to, you know, gather as much, uh, I guess, real estate on the network as possible before launching their second stage payload. So that's something that really wasn't shared by a lot of other families at the time and probably still isn't. You yourself, when you started, uh, mentioned its anti-VM techniques and -hmm. and some of the other uh, tactics it's used to stay, to evade detection, to continue being able to do what it's doing and their method of, of initial infection, which is primarily through phishing attacks, just, you know, targeted phishing attacks with, uh, with uh, malicious word documents attached to them mm-hmm. still works and has worked this whole time. Yeah. Yeah. I read that last year, one of its advanced capabilities is it, it found a way to insert itself into ongoing email threads. So conversations yes. between two people that are ongoing, it slips in in betweens, and so it's so it feels like you're still talking to someone, and and it attaches it attaches right that that macro enabled word document. I mean, yeah, how do you even how do you spot that? You know what a what an advancement of a feature. Yeah, um, yeah, and it all scary. it all comes down to to just basic trying to fool the human, and that's what Emotet has always known. It has not unlike. Families like TrickBot, which have really doubled down on technological capabilities, you know, exploits that they use and other tools that they deploy to help, you know, them spread across a network. With Emotet, I really think it's always been about the social engineering, the focus on the user and attacking them rather than focusing on trying to get past a security control. And so they've really invested in their social engineering aspects. And they've also been on the forefront of a lot of these campaigns that we've seen, you know, spreading these malicious Word documents, but doing it in in multiple different ways. You know, we've seen Emotet use PowerShell. We've seen Emotet use JavaScript. Just a lot of different variations on kind of the same tactic, but just enough different to make them more successful. Yeah. 
Do we have any inside accounts or know of any, you know, external press reports, just news coverage about how much an Emotet infection can sort of dismantle a business? And mm-hmm. I'm asking here about, right, the the human impact. We had that number up there, right? A million dollars to remediate, yeah. according to the, the DHS. What does that look like for people on the ground? I wish that was an easy question, <laughs> but it, it all depends because yeah. Emotet is not all about ransomware. It's not all about stealing data. It, it's, it does whatever the folks want to pay them for. So if you get an Emotet infection, the very best case scenario is that it tries to spread itself a little bit, gets detected and removed. Nobody yeah. is hurt. The worst case scenario is that it allows, you know, multi-staged uh, payloads to be dropped and eventually a, a full-blown ransomware infection and or something else that could, you know, s- severely impact operations at an organization. So from a human side of view, I guess if folks are worried about it, if they're scared, <laughs> if they don't trust the kind of email it's coming through, you know, that's definitely a, a big human aspect of this. But I think overall, it really does depend on the kind of payload that we're seeing. And like you said, you know, the FBI mentioned that, that uh, governments, there was a total loss of like a million dollars or, you know, per incidents to remediate. And and in July of 2019, Emotet also hit Lake City, Florida, and that cost the town 460000 in ransomware payouts. So like that's the high end right there. That's one of yeah. the, you know, closer to the high ends. The ransomware payout, if you have to deal with ransomware, the recovery operations. But if we're talking about a loss of revenue or loss of clients, I think we're going to be seeing that effort this year. I know this mm. off of Emotet, but but yeah. just overall, we're seeing kind of an increase and in, in my opinion, a, a, a shift toward uh, operational disruption from a lot of these malware groups rather than just stealing data or you know encrypting it and, and putting it out online. Obviously, that is valuable right now. And relevant, we're going to see more families doing that. But the real uh, concern I have is that, you know, manufacturing plants, hospitals, schools, places where you need your technology active in order to make money to complete the task of the day or whatever, not to the extent where, oh, I could just go to use my personal computer or I can just log in from a coffee shop or something. Uh, more about completely, you know, disrupting that, that process. And that's going to have a massive, massive fallout. And then the kind of yeah. ransom the demand from that is going to be pretty high. But but, you know, Emotet set the stage for that and they're making it, they made it so easy and showed all the rest of the cybercrime world how easy it is to go after these corporate targets. It really throws into relief, right, that an Emotet infection as well isn't ever, well, you hope that it is just an Emotet infection, but but for the most part, it's not. Like you said, it's a it's a truck and it can deliver more and more and more things. And I wanted to go back there really quick before we dive into some some statistics on, you know, that we have here. You mentioned that they started working as a as a licensee or a licensor. What does that mean? You know, is that is that as simple as I'm assuming here, which is like, hey, you know, another malware group, do you wanna buy some access that we've already gained and then we get some money on the side because you're using our work? Like is the, is that is it as simple as that or, or how does that work? From what I've observed, from what I know. You know, obviously there is, hey, we have access to this network and I'll, you know, I'll sell you access to it if if you want it. That's one route. But what I see when I'm talking about licensing yeah. is more so that there's an agreement between two groups like Emotet and TrickBot or Emotet and QBot or some, you know, other, other one out there that has paired with Emotet. So it's not necessarily that Emotet is saying, I already infected these and you can have access now, but more of like, I'm going to go out and infect stuff. And whenever I do that, pay me and I will make sure that your malware jumps on there too, 
regardless of who the target is, regardless what, or maybe there is some sort of specification on target, you know, if we're going after a particular, you know, like a medical organization or whatever, maybe they have a certain group of, of malware families that, that want to go after hospitals or go after medical organizations or something. But beyond that, I think, yeah, that's, that's a big part of it. And, and the reason for that is that the, the other approach is it's too slow. You know, even Ted Cannon compromise something and then it'll put them, it has to tell somebody about it. You know, it has to say on the, on the black market, hey, I have this access now. Now that could give away the hack to, yeah. you know, the, the victim themselves. And they could be like, oh crap, I need to clean up. And then they've lost right. their opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, alternatively, somebody else can can see that and say, oh, these must be vulnerable. Uh, this must be a vulnerable company or, or network. So I'm going to attack them too. And suddenly you've got someone else who has access to that. So I think there's a lot of reasons why, why that approach might be a little too old school these days. And what we're seeing more of is these like pre-existing contracts that if you infect someone, you will install my malware too. And I'm paying you to do that. What a surprise in like a business model, right? What an advancement. I did want to move over again to right, some statistics that we have here. And to kind of set the stage, I think also for for our listeners at home, I can just say that when I started at Malwarebytes, writing for the blog team, Emotet was like it. It was like, it was the malware. And if there was an uptick, right, coming from our, you know, detected from our threat intelligence team, it was sort of a stop the presses moment. It, it was like, stop the presses. We're writing about this today, okay? And we're trying to find how it's getting spread. We're trying to find where the activity is located. If possible at the time, are there industries being targeted? You know, what's, it's just the who, what, where, when, and why. And, yeah. you know, I, I feel like it was that for for the past two years too. I mean, we saw Emotet yeah. working with other things, but it was always, you know, the kernel of it was always like, okay, Emotet has done this new thing. So I wanted to look at, you know, what those detections were like over the past few years. And can you just share some of the statistics that we have to give a a broad perspective of how big of a deal this was? At the end of 2018, Mm -hmm. we saw over 500,000 active infections of Emotet, which is across the board. Yeah. In January of this year, we saw only about 12,000. Now, these numbers are, are modified slightly to, you know, remove outliers and things like that, that, you know, make it easier to follow trends. But, but yeah, the, the, the point here is that, is that in the end of 2018, when we, when we really, Emotet was still kind of the, I'm going to infect everybody. They may not even been focused entirely on business targets just yet. You know, we mm-hmm. saw lots of Emotet infection going after consumers in the years prior and it's still, you know, they're still out there, but but today their their primary target are businesses. So yeah, we saw this just this massive threat, and over the over the last couple of years, it has dropped significantly. But that is not because it is no longer dangerous, if anything. And you you just like you said, we've constantly been talking about it. So why would we constantly talk about a threat that's declining in detections? And that's because it doesn't matter uh, anymore. We're outside of that that realm now. You know, when ransomware hit. If you got infected with with ransomware, it doesn't matter if 10,000 people got infected with ransomware or one person got infected with ransomware. Mm-hmm. You know, there was this threat that was out there. And so that's what we saw a lot from Emotet over, over the last couple of years where they've decreased how much of a wide net they were casting and increased their, their greater targeting efforts. And something like yeah. what the spam module that we talked about, that allows for Emotet to find one target and then attack other, you know, targets in that organization. And if you're able to compromise one endpoint on an organizational network and it doesn't have any security software or anything deployed, high chances are there will be a lot of other endpoints in that same network that have the same configuration. And that allows Emotet to spread without being detected, without being reported. 
you know, that's a huge problem. So they've, they've really doubled down on their efforts to uh, evade us and also increase, like I said, their, their ability to target victims. But beyond that, as far as countries go, you know, we actually saw the U.S. is the biggest target for all malware. I mean, just period. <laughs> you know, we're full of a bunch of wealthy rubes. And, the, <laughs> and so we're huge targets. You know, the Western countries yeah. always are. Yeah. And, and based on our um, telemetry, yeah, U- U.S. was number one for Emotet, U.K. number two. After that, it was Germany, Italy, Mexico, Canada, Argentina, just kind of you know, a mashing of different, a mix of different countries. But, yeah. but the, the idea is there, you know, it's, it's targeted against Western countries primarily. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that does definitely lend some weight to the actors of Emotet being, at least having primarily been focused out of the East, you know, out of Russia or, and places like that. But yeah, so, well, like I said, while we've seen kind of a decline in, in detections over the years, it, it's the sophistication has continued to grow. And this this is the kind of thing that a lot of folks can definitely get confused by, I think. I think it's super important that you brought that point up, right? Mm-hmm. That numbers may have gone down, detections may have gone down over the past couple of years, but that doesn't mean that the severity of the tax is any less. Mm-hmm. In fact, they're still just as bad, if not worse, yeah. far worse than far worse. Yeah. 2014, <laughs> you know? Um, I'd rather get infected with Emotet from like December 2018 than Emotet from March of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and again, yeah, that's just a that's an important thing, I think, to to really hammer on that we also have to recognize that every time we read about an Emotet infection, every time we read about a ransomware infection that, you know, they originally gained entry because of Emotet. That's something we didn't catch, you know, at first. That's something the cybersecurity community didn't catch. And and mm-hmm. there are various reasons, you know, and it's because of unprotected, unsecured devices and networks. We can't catch what we're not on, you know. Yeah. But but it does it does go to show that like, look, just because the numbers are lower doesn't mean that people are still aren't getting affected by it. And and businesses and networks aren't still getting taken down because of at least a first entry point of Emotet. Yeah. It just goes to show that the numbers don't tell the full story. And kind of speaking on that, right? We, we said that the numbers went down a lot. And now we have even more recent news on January 27th, right? Law enforcement agencies of eight separate countries announced that they'd taken down Emotet in this broad international effort. And I wanted to find out more about that and just figure out this level of coordination, this international effort, just how common is it for a law enforcement takedown of any malware group, uh, you know, international or not? It's not. <laughs> uh, we've we've seen them, honestly, like over the last few years, a lot of efforts by law enforcement internationally and security vendors kind of, kind of coming together to go after these groups has really been something to see. And in the future, it will be very different. But the past, yeah, this was not not common. Usually it requires, like you said, a joint effort, international buy-in on this and usually some kind of security vendor. I think in the case of Emotet, it's been uh, Microsoft helped with TrickBot. Somebody else helped with yeah. the Emotet one. <laughs> Regardless, <laughs> you know, they usually they, they provide intelligence for the operation and stuff like that. And more often, you'll you'll really just see kind of the rest of key individuals and that might still have an effect on the malware group, um, maybe enough to shut down operations. You know, if you're dealing with a small botnet group and you arrest the guy that's, you know, in, in charge of developing it or distributing it or whatever, that that could very likely, you know, either knock that thing off the market or just slow it down significantly. 
But in cases where you're dealing with powerful malware groups like like Emotet and Trickbot, which also was was attempted to take down last year, you need a lot more resources for that to happen. Unless you're able to shut down the infrastructure, it'll probably come back. So that's that's what happened with Trickbot, and that Microsoft and and multiple uh, law enforcement agencies late last year attempted to take down the Trickbot botnet, which is you know funded by like North Korea, and yeah, it, it's it's a bad bad piece of malware, and they failed. Unfortunately, they did take mm-hmm. down some servers. They they you know I think they might have arrested somebody, but at the end of the day, they the Trickbot's still out there, it's still going. It's because they didn't do enough to take it down. Yeah. What they did with Emotet, they took down a lot of the infrastructure servers. They arrested a whole bunch of people. Mm-hmm. And based on the feeling across the community, it seems like that's it. Like Emotet's gone now. But that's that's just the beginning of the story, right? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> whenever whenever there's, there's a vacuum now, and that's something that I am always terrified of because I've never seen a case where one malware family gets taken down and is replaced by something less severe. I wanted to focus on, like you said, something that happened in, in TrickBot. They tried to take down the botnet, but they were unsuccessful. And that's something that happened here with Emotet, right? They they took down what is referred to as the botnet. And a few years ago, we, we started consistently referring to Emotet as having a botnet, as becoming a botnet. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? When did <laughs> Emotet become a botnet too? How does that happen? Well, you know, these days, malware terminology is almost uh, interchangeable. <laughs> a lot of things are <laughs> multifunctional these days. But yeah. Emotet was always a bot uh, in the sense that uh, any malware that takes commands from a command and control server and doesn't just operate without instruction is mm-hmm. usually considered a bot. At least it used to be. Mm-hmm. Emotet's early versions focused on financial theft, but still required to go ahead from a controller. And that's kind of similar to what you've seen from, from bots that could launch DDoS attacks or yeah. rats. In a remote access Trojan, in my opinion, is a bot. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. referred to as a bot often, but it is a bot. And when Emotet became a loader, and especially when they started selling you know, access to other criminals and things like that, then yes, it, it totally became a botnet. And that is because... You know, a botnet requires multiple bots. So yeah. in the in the case of going after a singular victim with a singular infection of Emotet, you know, there's one bot infection. When you have multiple potential, you know, points under attack from the same kind of bot, then I consider that to be botnet activity because they're all working in coordination at that point. But yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing to always remember. We talk about bots like, oh, it's a robot. You know, but reality, <laughs> the thing is, is that when we talk about bots, we're talking about things that have human operators. They're not right. they're not solo. They don't just do whatever they want. They have they're not you know autonomous or uh, or able to do much of anything without without the proper commands unless they've been programmed to do so. And these days, honestly, we most malware has that capability has the ability to to reach out to a command and control server, yeah. has the ability to take commands, to to you know, work with other versions of itself in some cases. And honestly, in the next 10 years, we'll probably have to have a whole new list of, of terms for malware families because none of them will apply anymore. I look forward to that work. <laughs> <laughs> It'll all just be malware.generic, one, two, three. That's it. <laughs> yes. With something like a botnet that has so many bots, all able to be controlled by a, by a human operator, what makes that the difficult thing to take down? Why, why is that harder to take down than whatever isn't a botnet? Well, it's, if you're dealing with just like a single bot or even just a single botnet that only come at, you know reaches out to a single command and control server, taking that botnet down is not difficult. But 
if you're dealing with something that has established infrastructure, and that means multiple compromised servers across the world, all being used as command control centers for these bots. And if they can't reach out to one of them, they'll reach out to another one. You know, they have a list or they, or they gain a, a gather a list from some other source. I mean, we've seen <laughs> there's such thing as an algorithm that some malware might have inside of it. And when it, when the malware runs and it activates this particular algorithm, it decrypts or, or gathers data in such a way that creates a list of URLs. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily ones that that are you know human readable or anything, but just you know random numbers and letters and things like that. But yeah. this algorithm has been run before, and the attackers have know what all those URLs are. They know all those domains, and they go out and they register them, and they add them to whatever compromised you know server they've got, so that the malware can just decrypt on the fly who it's supposed to talk to, and then reach out to that hypothetical, hopefully it's it's registered domain, and and communicate with the command and control server. So. When you've got something like that, and Emetet has that, Emetet has that backups and redundancy. It it knows you know who to reach out to. Its distribution is separated from its you know command, and and when you've got that kind of established infrastructure, then just taking down a piece of it isn't going to do much. It's like if you got a uh, you're playing Jenga, you know, and most malware is maybe you know two or three blocks high, and they're missing about half of the pieces. So all you have to do is really knock down one in the corner, the whole thing falls down. But Emetet is something that has, you know, sophisticated, uh, highly reinforced infrastructure and that you're going to have to take down multiple points at once if you want to cause any sort of damage. And that's what they did. But it could have very easily just not worked. And especially if they they miss some part of the infrastructure or or the, the Emetet guys had a, a, an even better backup plan. Looks like they probably didn't, but, uh, <laughs> but it could have happened, you know. Following on this initial law enforcement announcement, right, that happened last month, there are more steps. A cybersecurity researcher found, like I said, just another step of this plan, which is that law enforcement agencies had taken control, uh, that had taken control, you know, were pushing updates to already infected machines, you know, machines already infected with Emotet. And from analyzing the code in there, we understand that on April 25th, I believe it's April 25th, there's an update that's supposed to be pushed out that will remove Emotet from those machines. Uh, am I getting that correctly? Yeah. Yeah, it's supposed to happen. That sounds pretty wild. So yeah. <laughs> have we seen that happen before? Well, we've we've seen cases where law enforcement and researchers might have sent out a command from the command and control server to uninstall malware. Like, for instance, there's this watering hole technique, which is basically where a domain used for the command and control server of a malware is hijacked or, or you know, uh, confiscated. And so the the domain for that C2 server is registered by researchers. And so all the malware that's reaching out to that, you know, C2, to that domain will be redirected to whatever server the researcher wants. And if, oh. if they have something set up that's like a copy of the command and control software, Mm-hmm. then they could also potentially send commands. And in, in many cases, that's what happens. So we, when I was analyzing the Black Energy bot like 10 years ago, this malware kind of had a similar thing where they had this page basically on a server that controlled the, the bots the, and would send commands. That the bots would reach out to the, the server asking for information. The server would return the, the commands. If you were to hijack what the domain was, and I had a version of you know the Black Energy bot uh, on my own little lab, then you can go ahead and send the command to uninstall all of them. 
You know, and oh. some a lot of botnets at the time had that capability. To, they had that option in built into their software for some reason. You know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> remove all the bots. But what we're talking about here is different because the law enforcement folks actually wrote new code meant to be deployed on the victim systems. And after they hijacked, you know, after they got control of the the infrastructure of Emotet. So we've never, I've never seen that before. I've seen, like I said, I've seen people maybe misuse or abuse or, or just modify how a particular malware command and control infrastructure work. I've never seen someone, to, law enforcement deploy brand new code. And that's, it's kind of worrying for a lot of folks. Why is it worrying? A lot of people might consider it legal. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, for that. Okay. Got yeah. It. <laughs> depending, depending on folks react to this news, it may start a new conversation about what the expectations of law enforcement are when it comes to this kind of stuff, the cybercrime and, or whether or not this kind of uh, hacking back is a good idea or not. No, this isn't necessarily hacking back. You're not hacking the hacker, but you're basically doing something that that you know takes advantage of their infrastructure and pushing something through that's new. If this yeah. became a common thing, and I know this is this is a very outstanding case, and I don't know if the Emotet takedown is going to be the case that we all look to in the future when we're trying to take down other huge botnets and you know what what kind of actions we're taking now and will they influence the future. But if it does become a normal thing, and we are seeing law enforcement who are constantly just writing their own you know uh, tweaked versions of bots or whatever to remove other bots, then you know, who, how soon before some some law enforcement coder writes something more malicious than the malware that's being removed mm-hmm. and gets that sent out instead? Yeah. Who's doing the, the quality control on that? And um, and at the end of the day, you know, you're still going to be launching code on someone else's computer without their permission. So that's yeah. that. At the end of the day, that is illegal, right? In a lot yeah. of countries. <laughs> yeah, it's an enormous amount of power to entrust into anyone, right? Let's just be kind of plain here. It's an enormous amount of power for anyone to have. And in a situation like this, like you said, right, it's an exceptional circumstance. You know, Ted was public enemy number one for a really long time. And so from what we can see so far, good, let's get rid of it. You know, good move. But if this becomes the model... Let's not make this the standard. Right, right. If it becomes the model, what do we start letting slip through you know yeah um, are we yeah. going to develop a new a new branch of law enforcement international law enforcement that just develops anti-malware malware <laughs> right, right right and are are they going to push the boundaries you know for more yeah. and more aggressive things obviously an important question unfortunately we don't have the answer to it <laughs> um, yeah i did want to wrap up here though with our last question which is you know it's pretty understandable to, you know, for folks when they hear this kind of news, to hear that, okay, Emotet, big bad news taken down, to believe that, oh, that's that's too good to be true. And so I wanted to ask, what is in store for the future? And I think that you alluded to it a little bit with this idea of a vacuum. Um, yeah. Let's return there. One, is Emotet really done for? And two, even if it is, what's next? Well, it's, it's going to be hard to say whether or not Emotet is for sure done for whether or not we'll see anything called Emotet come back with a new group or something else. But the lessons that uh, learned are never lost in the cybercrime world. And definitely not these days, you know, they, it used to be a thing many years ago when we would be like, well, you know, a, a kind of every few years, a new group of cyber criminals kind of joins the market and they have to relearn everything that the old guys know. And they all went and got real jobs. And, 
that's not the case anymore. You know, <laughs> now we seriously, like it used to just be like a little phase that people went through in their twenties being a cyber criminal. And now, <laughs> now it's a full-time profession, you know, <laughs> Yeah. but while certain key members and infrastructure uh, servers, they were captured by law enforcement. We still have, you know, active criminals who likely assisted uh, with the development or the distribution of Emotet. And they're going to take what they know and possibly build something new. Maybe they'll help to upgrade an existing family, turning it into some new form of Emotet. You know, we had um, Maze ransomware go down last year. And that, that family didn't last for very long, but it was very, very effective. And the group behind it, a lot of the, the affiliates that worked for that ransomware and probably some of the developers of it, they went to go develop and work with this other ransomware called Egregor that was more you know solely focused on business infections mm-hmm. and better designed for that purpose. Since Emotet is something that has always been kind of evolved upon and, and developed over the years, can we say for sure that it's the best version of itself, you know, that it was the best version of itself or will the developers or people associated with developers follow the lessons of what they learned, what worked and what didn't work with Emotet in the past and build a more dangerous Emotet, one that, you know, has doesn't have the same kind of vulnerabilities or the same infrastructure vulnerabilities, one that can't be taken down as easily. And that's coming. That is coming. And with Emotet gone, there is a huge vacuum right now because th- there are a few families out there that were also trying to fill the void to try to be Emotet. You know, I think Cubot and some other ones I can't think off the top of my head, but there are quite a few families out there, Bizarre Loader, that want to be the new Emotet. And if they can get the infrastructure to do it and they can stick to the same kind of disciplined upgrade and evolution schedule that we saw from Emotet, then, then maybe we will, you know, maybe, maybe those will become the new ones. But regardless, I, I promise you that whatever comes is not going to be better than Emotet. It'll be worse in some ways. And, and it, you know, could we have avoided this? I don't think so. I think it was inevitable regardless. <laughs> you know, the new, the new baddie on the block was coming, whether Emotet was in its way or not. I think it's an important thing to remind folks all the time, right? Which is that we don't go backwards. Like we don't, <laughs> malware development, and capabilities and distribution and even just the the advancement in malware as a business, you know, you know, cybercrime as a business. Yeah. We don't go backwards. Those folks get better at what they do. And if Emotet wasn't taken down, Emotet would have gotten better at what it did, as it had been doing. And like you said, now that there's a power vacuum, it's not going to be replaced by something light. You know, it's not going to be replaced by, you know, a two-bit kind of malware. It's it's going to be the folks who learned from what they already did, mm-hmm. likely on Emotet. Yeah. So that should be really interesting to see what happens over the next few months as far as what, what threats are you know, going to be the most, uh, the most capable in, in delivering this stuff. I'm very curious to see what happens. I'm also pretty excited. Well, if excited is the right word, but I am interested <laughs> in seeing you know, what we're going to be writing about, what we're going to be detecting in 2021. And with that, Adam, again, thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank you, David. It's really great to talk about this threat. Emotet was terrifying. It kept me up at night for sure. And I'm glad it's gone. And I'm, I'm even more scared of what's coming. But but for now, you know, celebrate small victories, right? Absolutely. Yeah. A big victory. <laughs> Taking big... down Emotet was a huge victory. It right. was a huge deal. Yeah. You know, and I, I may not be making a big a deal as it needs to be made, but but trust me, it's a huge deal. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. I th- I think a good way to also contextualize that is that, you know, in 2020, the end of 2020, 
we have all these meetings about what are the predictions for 2021? Can we write some blogs about it? Can we do that? No one said Emotet gets taken down, you know, three weeks from now. You know, that didn't exist. It's a huge deal. And yeah, let's celebrate that. (laughs) Well, we still can. (laughs) (laughs) Right. To our listeners at home, we'll talk to you again in two weeks when we speak with Electronic Frontier Foundation's Director of Cybersecurity, Eva Galbraith about the importance of anonymous speech online.